Amen. You may be seated. I still remember well one of really the the first real fight that I had with um, Kathy, my my wife. I'm afraid probably a number of you can uh, recall something similar, and it was basically a very uh, insensitive comment, shockingly enough, from her husband over window treatments. The problem was that I didn't value window treatments and sort of laughed them off. And she did value them and wanted to take what she called a rather stark, simple, boxy, plain, those are the nice words, first apartment, and you know those first apartments, and tried to add a touch of beauty and home and interest and, and texture. I, I thought we, I brought everything we needed, a computer and a stereo. <laughs> what else was necessary? Well, this series that we've been walking through this fall is, is, r- reminds us, reminded me, and I hope reminded you of some of the ways that we need to check in regularly with God. To find out what is it that God values? What is it that, that God holds dearly? We, we've called this series God's Wish List. You know, and now as we approach the holiday season, con- considering and, and thinking, what, what does God value? What does He really want from us so that we can give it to God? And, and there meet God's joy and pleasure, that we can give to God the gifts that God values. We've been going throughout the scriptures. As we began this series, the the, the way that we started was I just simply did a search through the scriptures for the times it says what God loved or or what God valued or, or what God desired or the other side, what God didn't desire. What God didn't value, what He didn't love. And we've sort of gone throughout the Scriptures, looked in in Deuteronomy, that that God desires us, what God loves us when we just simply abandon ourselves to Him, when we surrender ourselves to Him. And I've had uh, some of you even share with me real insights that, that you've had exploring what God wanted you to surrender, to abandon to Him. And even some decisions that you've made that are very significant for where you'll be spending time and what you'll be doing with that time. We talked about it as we looked in the Proverbs that God loves honesty. God loves truth because God is truth. And what we we found throughout that each each time, each one of these things that God values, they're, they're tied so closely to God's character because God is truth. God loves honesty. 
And that's a, a wonderful gift that we give to him. And a number of you have shared with me that, you know, that just during that week, the, the, the challenges that you faced, and some, even just the joy of giving God the gift of honesty in a difficult situation. That God loves justice. He loves it when we, when we work for change so that all may receive what they need. God loves justice. God loves mercy. When we, as He gives to us, out of His goodness, when we simply give to those, when we give to one another, and we give to those that are in need. God loves, as we see today, righteousness. To, simply to, to do the right thing. To, to do the, the good thing. And, and in a way, our passage in Isaiah really will summarize even this whole series as he captures almost each one of these in this particular passage. And what we'll see here in Isaiah, as often happens in the prophets, that the prophet comes to, to wake the people up, you know, to bring God's word to bear. Sort of, oftentimes, and we'll even see here, sort of like a fight in a first apartment when a new husband needs to recognize how his values aren't in line with his new wife's values and there needs to be a readjustment. And what we can learn from this passage in Isaiah is we can learn just what are, again, these values. Be reminded again, God's wish list, what He loves and what He desires from us. Let's pray together. Gracious God, Thank you for your written word. Thank you that you, you speak to us, communicating to us what is of eternal significance, or what is of significance to you, what, what you value is that which is eternal. Continue to, to transform us, to renew our minds as we hear your word so that we might be in line with your desires and give you the gifts of ourselves and our actions, and our thoughts that truly do please you. Open us to your Spirit. Speak to us. For each, each one of us, in our own ways, need your specific word to us. So take your word this time. Speak to us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. It's Isaiah chapter 1, the very beginning of the, the words from the prophet Isaiah. It's found on page 549 in your uh, pew Bible. I invite you to turn there or in your own Bible. We'll start with verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the, the fat of fed beasts, I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who asks this from your hand? Trample my courts no more. Bringing offerings is futile. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and calling of convocation. I cannot endure solemn assemblies with iniquity. 
your new moons and your appointed festivals my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you stretch out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Come now, let us argue it out, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be like snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, in the opening section of these harsh words from Isaiah to wake up the people of Israel in their, they were in a time in the kings that Isaiah served under. They were in a time of relative peace. They were in a time of prosperity. And it's often the case in the, the, the biblical model, when, when the, the biblical curve, almost a sign curve, you know, as, as the prosperity and peace goes up, um, Interest in God goes down. And so Isaiah sent by God to try to wake up the people because, in rather harsh terms that he gives here, because these, the things that Isaiah is, is telling them to stop, is condemning, are the very things that the law had prescribed. But what was happening is that the things that God's law had prescribed earlier were no longer serving their purpose. And it's common, oftentimes the prophets speak to this, that, that the things that are good have sort of lost their energy. They, they've lost their touch. They, they've lost their very purpose. And what we find here, two things, particularly around the, the sacrifices, around the, the, the worship rituals of Isaiah's day. They had become useless because they didn't further their relationship with God. Any of our our practices, our habits as church are the same way. When they have lost their ability to further our relationship with God, if they become a form without substance, then they're misplaced. They, They need to be jettisoned. They need to be reworked. Uh, in a church that uh, served in the past, they had a habit for a time of putting a cloth over the elements for communion. And it was a big deal how you folded that cloth and would cause all kinds of consternation if that cloth weren't folded correctly. So I remember getting with the ushers and asking them, why do we even have a cloth? I know why we got bread, I know why we got cup, but why do we have a cloth? Uh, I don't know. Well, why do you think we have a cloth? Uh, because the elements are holy. And so we cover them because they're holy. Sort of like the veil. Interesting. 
But there are other things that are holy. The scripture even says that you are holy. We don't cover them up. We don't cover the cross. We don't cover the stained glass. What might be the case? And I said, you know, I don't know why we covered the elements here either. I do know why throughout history they were covered. To keep the flies off. You covered the elements because, you know, the church is a rather old institution. We predated, we predated uh, air conditioning. And so you would have the windows open. And flies, you know, wine, grape juice, bread, you know, that was right there for your pleasure, so the flies thought. So you put a cloth over it to keep the flies off. I said, you know, that historically was the reason. We, but now it's, it causes more anxiety than it does worship. So why don't we just no longer use the cloth since we've got rid of the flies? It's a natural thing for us to come in and have the, the worship rituals no longer further our relationship with God. The other thing that I think Isaiah is getting at in these first five, six uh, verses is that when they become, when the, the worship rituals of the day, that the new moons and the Sabbaths and the solemn assemblies, when they became a substitute for a, a living relationship with the living God, when they became a, a substitute, when in, in what we, you know, compartmental Christianity... You know, that sort of happens within the confines of the, the, whatever the religious rituals and, and traditions of the day that they, they substitute for a living God. It was just this week that a member of the congregation, as we were talking, was sharing with me a, a story of a year or so ago, two years ago, when we had a service and we had bottles of water. And we were, everybody was to take two bottles of water, you know, one for them and one for somebody out there. And this person was sharing with me, the first Sunday we did it, oh, you know, that was sort of hokey. You know, I got my own water. You know, I won't do it. The next week sort of felt, okay, well, I'll do it. So grabbed two bottles of water, walked out into the, it was middle of July, beginning of August, round in there, walked outside, hot, hot day, it, Somebody from the community walked right by him as he's walking to his car through the parking lot, sweating up, looked over. The person even told me, I looked over at the person, whoo, man, hot day, isn't it? Yeah, really hot, but we'll make it through somehow. And he just kept walking all the way to the car, got in the car, put his two water bottles next to him, and then, wow. Yeah, it wasn't five minutes. Yeah, and we all, or at least I do, have those kind of stories regularly you know, where it was all within the confines of our traditions and rituals and we lose sight of living with God attuned to God's spirit in the parking lot or wherever we go. So God's response to, to Israel in that day it says, you know, I'm, I'm full that's really what the text says. I'm full of fatted rams. I'm, I, I, I can't eat another bite. I, I don't want any more. 
This is what I want. This is, this is my desire. This is my wish list. This is my pleasure. This is my passion. And, and what we'll see here, some of the things that we've been talking about throughout this fall. Verse 16. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Repentance. Remember we read Psalm 51? That God desires us simply to, to repent, to be, to be humble before Him, to be honest. Now we talked about from the Proverbs about honesty, not just with others, but honesty with God, honesty with ourselves. That pleases God. It's, don't try to hide them from me. Just let it out. Speak to me of the ways that you fall short. Don't hold back. I love that. Verse 17. Learn to do good. It's really the main point for today. Learn to do good. And, and to do good, you know, that's, that's Genesis 1 kind of good. You know, when God's created and six, seven times in those first two chapters of Genesis. And it was good. It was very good. You know, to, to be good is to, to act as we were created to act. In, in right relationship with Him, in right relationship with one another. And that all had what they needed. That is what is good. And you know, I, we could preach a whole series of sermons on what is good and just go through all the different laws of the scriptures. But we don't have that kind of time right now. So what's the best way to encapsulate what is good? I, I love the, the challenge and the, the illustration of uh, a, a British theologian, uh, Tom Wright. And here's what he says in terms of our, our Christian life, in terms of our, our life of, of really bringing gifts that are pleasing to God, to do what is good. He says, imagine this. Imagine that, since he's from Britain, imagine that we found parts of a lost Shakespearean play. Seven acts, this play. And we, we found six of the seven acts. What we would do is we dive into those six acts that we know. We would figure them out, get the Shakespearean scholars in there to, to read them and, and just dive into them, and then they would flesh out. They would write that one missing act that would make it whole and complete. Our life in Christ is like that. God has informed us of six of the seven acts. He's given us the first five and then the last one. The first act. The first act is creation. That God created the heavens and the earth. Out of nothing, He created it and it was good. The second act is then the fall. That humanity enters into that act and yet finds a way to eat from the one tree of the hundreds that God had created. 
to eat from the one that he said not to eat from. The third act is then Israel, God's people. That he chooses a people to be a blessing to the world. This world that he had created and this world that had fallen. So he brings Israel. The the fourth act then is Jesus. God himself, as we are about to start celebrating, comes in the flesh to live for us, to die for us, to free us from sin. Fifth act is then the beginning of the church in the book of of Acts. And the seventh act is Revelation. We know how the play ends. And now, every one of us, and, and we as a community, are now writing part of the sixth act. We're we're writing that part of the play in which we are in. So we we dive into the first five acts. We dive into the, the seventh act so that in our part, our character, in, in this divine drama... that that we will play perfectly in accordance with the storyline. That we will act perfectly according to what is good. According to the way that God would have us act. That, That we would do the God thing. It might be easy, it might be hard, but we would do the God thing. It might be culturally acceptable. It might fly right in the face of our culture. But it's the God thing. It might be simple or it might be complex. It's the God thing. It might make a difference in the world and a great impact. It may not be noticed by anyone but our audience who is one. Because we've poured ourselves into the part of the the play, the script that we know, we live according to that good script in our own lives. Goes on. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Seek to to work, to to change the ways of the world so that pursuing all is fair. And what a a great, what a celebration. As as a church, as we come alongside, and we've talked about this, and it's continuing, Hill Rise, which is the little, uh, uh, or the large, the the tall building next to our building where where folks are living, and living in, in bad situations. Drug deals going down inside the building. Unhealthy, unclean situations. And and we as a church, because some of folks that live there are members here. And we've become aware of that. And so as a church, we're coming alongside them, coming alongside the new management that it's under to say, how do, do we pursue, seek what is just and right here? How do we change these conditions? That 
God says, that pleases me. It's part of my wish list. Verse 17c, seek justice, then rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow, pursue mercy, care for those who are weak, poor, and helpless. And again, we've celebrated the ways that God has provided opportunities for us to participate in that. And as we, and you'll hear a number of opportunities just today to be able to to, to carry out that, that mercy, to give God a gift that God enjoys as we live in ways that are merciful. Whether it's with tutoring, through treehouse, whiz kids, feeding those that are hungry, sitting alone, eating with those who maybe wouldn't have another place to eat with Feast of Love just this Thursday, or whether it's joining with Christ's community and the deacons and providing food for those in our community that otherwise wouldn't have it at Thanksgiving and Christmas, or whether it's in our own building as we help to house homeless families with the other churches in College Hill. All opportunities that we as a church get to, to give to God gifts that He desires and that please Him. Verse 18, come now, let us argue it out, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be like snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. It's God who's the one who makes us clean. It's God who is the one who forgives us as we've already experienced today. And it's God the one who calls us. What he, what, what he enjoys is simply our abandon unto Him. That we hear what He calls us to do. And, and, and we do it in line with the script that He's given us as we live out that one piece that's missing. Now, here's here's what I I wonder for you, for each of us. Are there ways, are there ways that we can fall into the same trap as Israel then? And Isaiah's word sort of wakes us up a little bit, that that there are habits, traditions, rituals that we have kept that are good, that are helpful, but they've lost their purpose. They're no no longer leading us to, to walk with God and motivating us in that way. Then we need to... Put those aside. Need to rework them, re-enter them, come at them from a different angle. Are there any any of those in your lives that the Spirit brings before you? And, And the other side of this coin, to look at the things you are doing or you can do that you do participate in that are right in line with what God is doing in our midst whether it's honesty whether it's humility mercy justice see those opportunities that might just be in the parking lot or across the street or next door or within your own home, or in your own workplace, in your neighborhood. 
opportunities that God has given that, that aren't duties to accomplish, but opportunities to give God a gift and to rejoice with Him in the opportunity to, to join with Him in carrying out the good news in word and in deed. As we end this series of God's wish list, let's look towards Advent and Christmas and, and see with excitement, the same excitement that a child on Christmas Eve, the ways that we get to participate in giving God gifts that bring Him joy and pleasure in which He delights.